Hello, and thanks for joining us on Teaching Together, the Complete Mathematics Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk through a single objective in detail in order to make our teaching of the chosen idea more impactful. I'm Dave Taylor, and I'm here today with my Complete Mathematics colleague, Stuart Welsh. Hello, everybody. And today, we're going to talk through adding and subtracting fractions with different denominators. You can follow along at home by downloading the slide deck of tasks from completemaths.com forward slash podcast. Today's objective is from stage five, unit 11 of the Complete Mathematics curriculum, and you can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of over 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. So without further ado, let's dive into teach, do, practice, behave with adding and subtracting fractions with different denominators. Before we teach pupils a new idea, there is one important question to consider. Are we doing the right maths at the right level? If we're not and it's too easy, we run the risk of boring pupils. But if the complexity level is too high, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone. And we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge for this new mathematical idea. So what is that knowledge for this objective, Stuart? Well, Dave, I think um, all of our listeners will probably agree that fractions is a, is a really big thread of mathematics that, that weaves itself all the way up through the curriculum. And it's something that can cause pupils um, quite a lot of problems and problems that just keep coming back again and again as, as fractions appear in increasingly complicated uh, scenarios. So before we, we look at the, the prerequisite knowledge, I always like to think, um, you know, what, what types of questions and examples are we expecting pupils to do here in this uh, in this uh, idea when we're teaching this idea? So we need to ask ourselves questions like, are we including examples with more than two fractions? Um, it's quite common to see adding two fractions or subtracting one fraction from another, but do we want to have uh, three or maybe even four fractions in there? And I think we should. So that's important when we think about the prerequisite knowledge. Also, we want to think, do we want to include examples which feature whole numbers? So maybe adding a fraction to a whole number, subtracting a fraction from a whole number. Again, I think that's important and something that we must factor into our planning when we're thinking about prerequisites. Another thing, if we're using um, more than two fractions is do we want to include combinations of addition and subtraction because in that case we might want to be thinking about uh, the prerequisite knowledge required for doing that and then of course um, we want to think about whether we're giving examples which include improper fractions answers which include improper fractions and if so what are we expecting pupils to do with those improper fractions? Are they going to leave them like that? Or are they going to convert them back into mixed numbers? So those are all considerations that we have to um, think about before we even start planning for testing our prerequisites. And I would also think at this point about misconceptions. And, um, you know, there's one massive a misconception, at least I've seen it in my career over and over. And uh, I don't blame pupils for it anymore because they're so used to seeing two numbers written out in a sort of linear way. So two plus three uh, and adding them together. Why not? When you met with a fraction, why not add the numerators together and then add the denominators together? In the absence of any other understanding, then it seems actually the most logical thing to do. So we really want to try and bust that misconception. And we can do that using visual representations and uh, helping pupils understand that uh, things like a half plus um, a third 
um, if we if we add the numerators and the denominators, we get two fifths, and two fifths is of course smaller than a half, and so we can so we can sort of bust those misconceptions. And the other one is that um, you know the misconception is that the pupils think that the lowest common multiple is is always the product of the denominators, and that isn't always the case. So now we've thought about some of these considerations and those misconceptions. The prerequisite knowledge that feeds into all of that would be um, adding subtract and subtracting fractions with the same denominator. So that's something we probably would have done just a little bit earlier in this learning sequence anyway. We want to think about converting improper fractions to mixed numbers, vice versa. Other prerequisites include finding and working with equivalent fractions, and then of course finding uh, the, the lowest common multiple of two or possibly more than two numbers. And then just at the end there also perhaps order of operations. So there's a whole range of um, prerequisite uh, knowledge items there that we uh, that we can think about. So considering prerequisite knowledge uh, is one challenge, the next challenge is how do you test for it? So how might a teacher go about testing this prerequisite knowledge for, this, for today's objective? Well, Dave, I think because we're working here on adding and subtracting fractions with different denominators, it's more than likely that we are partway through a sequence of learning on fractions. And so we should, as teachers, um, already be aware of the the group's level of prerequisite knowledge for uh, for a number of the things that I just mentioned there. But um, I would always like to try and test prerequisite knowledge with, with um, maybe half a dozen very, very short questions that might be presented to the pupils at the beginning of a lesson, uh, but they don't need to be at the beginning. They could be any stage in the, in a lesson, really just to check their readiness. And so if you have a look at the accompanying PowerPoint, if you've got access to that, then on slide three, you can see three uh, examples of very, very short exercises that focus on a particular skill. And uh, I've deliberately not given six uh, different questions in each exercise, rather keeping the questions very similar because I want all pupils to have a go at at least, um, you know, maybe three or four of these questions, so that I can gauge the uh, the level of prerequisite knowledge. And then, if we um, move on to slide number four on the uh, accompanying PowerPoint, then you'll see that we've got a little activity here, which could also be used as a as a sort of behave type activity at another stage in the curriculum. And this is really just an opportunity for pupils to think a little bit more deeply about pairs of numbers and the lowest common multiple. And the idea of the task on slide four is really to um, direct pupils' awareness to the fact that the lowest common multiple is not always the product of the, the given numbers. Sometimes it is the larger of the two numbers, or sometimes if there's um, a factor in common between the numbers, then it's uh, it's another. Um, another multiple of the smaller number. So it's definitely worth having um, a look at those uh, those accompanying slides, slide number four. I think that slides three and four have some great activities on there for, for starting this new idea off and checking prerequisite knowledge. Um, so when we are confident that pupils are ready to learn this new idea, we're ready to teach. In the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So what models are we going to use here, Stuart? Okay, Dave. So um, again, as I said, we are in a part way through a sequence of learning about fractions. And so the models that I'm going to mention here should have already been seen by the pupils. And um, in fact, 
we, we should really have exposed pupils to these models um, much, much earlier in, the, in their development of their understanding of fractions. And so for me, the, the really powerful model is, is to use Cuisinier rods, um, which lead on to um, sort of similar representations like bar, um, bar model type representations. And if you have a look at slide number five on the accompanying PowerPoint, then you'll see what we've what we've done here. We've got the worked example, which is written out using our formal uh, algebraic notation or a formal abstract notation, which uh, in this case we're doing one half plus one fifth. And then what we've got here is a whole range of representations of a half from um, using Cuisinier rods. And um, it turns out there that we can see that uh, white is one half of red, uh, red is one half of pink, green is one half of dark green, um, pink is one half of tan, and yellow is one half of orange. And what's quite nice here is that um, you know we can also see the equivalent fractions working through here. We've got a half, two quarters, three sixths, four eighths, and five tenths. Now we've done the same with one fifth, so we can represent one fifth using Cuisinier rods, white and yellow. Uh, is a representation of a fifth, or red and orange is a representation of one fifth. And what's so important about these um, these two little groups of representations, as you can see on slide number five, and then also moving on to slide number six, is that um, it's it's when we choose the orange bar uh, to be our our whole um, that we then see that we we can we can talk about um, a half of our whole and a of the same whole. And this is something that's really important that we want to highlight to pupils because when we're um, trying to do a calculation like one half plus one fifth, we are really trying to uh, calculate one half of one plus one fifth of one, where the ones are the same thing. And it's sometimes quite often forgotten, but we can compare this to you know something simple like two plus three, where what we're actually doing here is we're adding two ones and three ones together to give five of these ones where the ones are the same. And it's something that, you know, maybe due to this sort of curse of knowledge that, that teachers have that we don't really think quite so explicitly about that. But I think getting across the idea that we are um, looking for a half of one and a fifth of one and that the ones must be the same helps pupils to visualise these uh, these fractions a little bit more. Now, if you jump onto slide number seven, then there's an alternative circular model, which I think is also useful as it highlights that adding fractions makes a bit more sense if we have divided our, our one, our whole, into the same number of equally sized parts. And, and so in this case, the, it's tenths. Yeah, I think that the circular model is, is a bit of a go-to for teachers when they're trying to show fractions visually. Um, my own personal one would be on slide eight, where I like to use a bar model that you mentioned before. I think it links quite well with the quiz and air rods. Um, and using the animations on slide eight, you can see that um, the bars are the whole. You can split them into four equal groups and, and, and three equal groups and shade those. They can then be split up into twelfths. And then the animations show the three twelfths and the four twelfths moving together into a third bar to show that a quarter out of third is seven twelfths. I just think the visuals are really powerful to get the idea across. So I think you're absolutely right there about the visuals, uh, very powerful to try and get the idea across. And, and it's, it's with these visuals that we help uh, the pupils form a, a sort of deeper conceptual understanding of, of how, what a fraction is, first of all, and how different fractions relate to one another in terms of their, their, um, their relative size. So this is one way that we can get away from the misconceptions that I mentioned at the beginning, the adding the numerators and adding the denom denominators type thing. Yeah. Now, at this point, We've taught, we're transitioning out of the teach phase and we're looking for pupils to do and that's coming up next.
So now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's look at the do phase. In this phase of the learning episode, pupils are simply replicating what they have been shown. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution. And this complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with this new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupil responses, amending their model or example as necessary, maintaining pupil motivation and making stronger connections in pupil schema. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So this is just about replication, and I think that we agree on the best way to go about this, Stuart. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Um, you know, we, we, we're example problem pairs as uh, a research-backed uh, strategy that is a, a powerful way of uh, of helping pupils learn and become increasingly fluent in a, in a technique. And so much of maths does lend itself to it. And I think here, in particular, when we're adding and subtracting fractions with with uh, different denominators, that we've got quite a structured, formal way of of presenting this. And um, I think before we, we go right into detail here, it's worth saying that even in the earlier phases here where, where we've been through the teach phase, that we're we're using our models. So we're using our bar models, we're using our um, questionnaire, we're maybe using the circular model, but we're also putting down that abstract notation. We want the pupils to be seeing both of those hand in hand. And then as we move into this do phase, what we're trying to do is sort of bridge away from the, uh, the physical or the pictorial representations and just try and get pupils to be able to comfortably replicate and uh, and, and sort of evolve the, the, the abstract written method. So if you can um, get to slide number nine on the accompanying PowerPoint, then what I've put together is, is just a tiny, tiny tip of the iceberg, just one type of question here where we've actually got unit fractions where uh, the denominators are multiples of, of one another. So very, very straightforward, one of the first things that we might do here. And um, we've got not just the example problem pair, but we've got some backward fading in this little series of, of example problems as well. So the first um, example is one that I would perhaps do for the class, I'd narrate the steps, and um, I would try and highlight um, sort of the key bits of thinking, uh, and then I would give them the, the first problem. And, and if you can see that on slide number nine, then what we've done is we've partially completed the uh, the steps of working for the for the pupil. We've, we've definitely missed out the final line of working, uh, and then we've also missed out a couple of uh, numbers on the numerator. And when we're building um, backward faded examples, and, and Dave, you know this uh, very well because of your your own website, which is which is increasingly popular uh, with the backward faded um, practice that you've that you've got on there. But um, when we're doing this, what we want to do is we, we're not necessarily just missing out one line at a time. We really want to decide what do we want to draw people's attention to? What do we want them to focus on? And so in the in the very first problem um, on the second line, all I've missed out is the numerator on the first fraction. Now, we're doing one third plus one ninth. And so what we've given the pupils is something over nine plus one ninth. And so we want them to notice that the denominator of that first fraction has changed from three to nine, and they must try and think about what is the corresponding change in the numerator. So we're really focusing their attention on just this idea of, okay, denominator has been multiplied by three, what's got to happen to the numerator? Um, and then as we go into the next problem for the pupils, we've sort of um, kept that piece of thinking in, but we're now also focusing on the second fraction. So the second example that pupils will be doing on their own is a tenth plus a fifth, uh, and we've given them something over 10 plus 
and then an empty fraction. So they need to realise that the tenth is is not going to change, but that the second fraction, which was a fifth, will become two tenths. And so we're sort of building in a scaffolding there to allow pupils to examine the example that's been done for them and then think um, very sort of specifically and intentionally about the various stages in answering these. And then the final problem, well, basically the framework is there, but the pupils have to fill in everything for themselves. So backward fading there is a sort of way of reducing a bit of cognitive load. It's also a way of focusing pupils' attention on very specific bits of the uh, of the question. And then we would move on um, to do sort of a free practice of this as well. I would still want pupils to do a problem where there was no structure, but I would be encouraging them to follow the same layout as uh, as they've seen in the examples. Yeah, so I'd be I'd be looking to give all that scaffolding to begin with, and then gradually fade that out uh, with multiple teach do episodes. So I'm teaching doing teaching doing. Pupils are replicating, and then once the teacher knows that pupils can replicate this new idea, we want them to develop fluency with it. I mean, one way to do this is just to give them a textbook exercise, right? Um, but I found that pupils can they can meander through these without being challenged or having to think. And so on slide 10, I've included a set of increasingly difficult questions. Um, this will give pupils the chance to gain success early on with adding and subtracting um, fractions with the same denominator. But also they'll be challenged as they move through the activity. Uh, also, beyond the scope of this objective, uh, this includes um, adding and subtracting using mixed numbers. And whilst this hasn't expressly been taught, Personally, I'm very interested in how pupils respond to these without being taught and see what methods that they might come up with. Do you know, I think that is a, an excellent idea there to include in your increasingly difficult exercise some questions that are a little bit beyond the scope of the objective. Now, remember in the complete mass curriculum, pupils have seen mixed numbers before, so they, they won't you know, be uncomfortable with the notation um, and they'll have an under understanding of what a mixed number is. So it'll be really interesting to see how pupils go ahead and, and tackle that um, because we, if, if pupils are developing a, a, a deeper conceptual understanding of, of fractions and, and mixed numbers and, and what they represent, then there's every chance that they might in fact realise that I've got three holes and two holes in these mixed numbers. So actually that's just one hole and then I need to deal with my fraction part. Um, so a, a good idea there to sort of test pupils against um, something that's coming up in, in, in the sequence of learning so that you as a teacher can gain a bit of um, information about where their thinking is is currently at and help you plan when it does come to teach that new idea. Yeah, and having worked through the teach and do phases where pupils have now developed fluency, we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing, and it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention. Pupils are now fluent with the process, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed exercise that will aid pupils in forming links. And we also have an opportunity to coach pupils in method selection, where they can answer questions such as, what is the question asking me? And what do I know about how to solve this problem? So Stuart, what kind of activity might the teacher be using in the practice phase? 
Okay, Dave. So um, if we've got access to the, the PowerPoint, then slide number 11 here has an example of a couple of sort of short um, practice exercises that have been sequenced quite carefully or structured so that uh, the pupils are moving from, from relatively simple problems through all the different problem types that we discussed earlier. So, for example, um, the first four questions actually have pupils just adding fractions where the denominator is, is already the same. Um, but what is happening here, and things like these are so important, is that a number of these questions result in answers like six-sixths or um, eight-sevenths. And so we're, we're, we're dropping in already here this extra challenge of what do we do if the numerator and denominator is the same? Do pupils know to put, put one as their answer there? And again, if we've got an improper fraction. And gradually, uh, line by line through these practice activities, we're, we're starting to meet all the different variations of questions. Now, I like to give pupils this sort of double opportunity here to not only think about method selection and how is this question different to the one that I've just done, but I also like to give sufficient number of questions that are the same just to keep that fluency going um, so ultimately um, across uh, what have we got here like 32 or something no more than that um, 46 questions here we're best part of 50 questions here plenty of practice um, and we end up getting to things like 3 minus 17 quarters and, and 5 minus 50 over 7 so really um, taking pupils from something very simple at the beginning and cleverly, slowly, carefully, in a structured way, moving them on to something much more challenging. Yeah, another another option that we have at, at this, and I've mentioned it just about method selection, um, is to, to develop that method selection in pupils. And so using the idea of prior knowledge, I've put together a mixed practice activity on slide 12. Uh, this encourages pupils to form links between what they already know and this new learning. And it also gives some space practice opportunities for um, for ideas that pupils have previously encountered. Now, this is something that I started doing a couple of years ago, uh, and I found that the depth of pupils' understanding has, has improved massively. And uh, I've said it before, Dave, I really do like these little practice activities that you do because they're, they're pulling together um, not just uh, the work that we're expecting pupils to do during this lesson, but we're really stretching back in time to, to prior learning. So wonderful opportunity to, to sort of make those connections and to help um, build that uh, deeper understanding. And after pupils have assimilated the idea into their schema, forming these strong connections, we're going to start looking at them behaving mathematically. In order to make mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Unfortunately, we suspect that the behave phase is often cut short or is missing entirely, as teachers feel pressure to cover the scheme of learning. In the behave phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. Now, for adding and subtracting fractions with different denominators, we've put together the tasks on slide 13 and 14. Stuart, uh, slide 13. Yeah, so slide 13, uh, I think it's a really good task uh, to elicit mathematical behaviours. Um, and it's sort of 
pseudo guise of, of being a fraction task, but it really does just evolve into a um, working systematically. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a sort of shaded um, grid here, and we're talking about combinations and permutations and finding different fractions before then going on to ask the the the, the great question that so often gets people's thinking is how many ways, how many different ways are there to color this grid, and how can you be sure that you found all those different ways? So for me, this is something that starts off uh, thinking about fractions and then um, evolves into something which is more about um, combinations and permutations and encouraging pupils to try a simpler case and to work systematically before then looking to try and form a generalization uh, is, is a great opportunity here to use this task either as a behaved task or perhaps even as an enrichment task. Yeah, and on slide 14, I, I've taken some tasks from openmiddle.com um, just on adding fractions. And so slide 13 gives us something to behave mathematically at this point in the learning episode, but two years down the line, we want to be able to behave mathematically with adding fractions. And if you've not seen open middle activities, they're a great way for kids to, to check their levels of understanding. So the directions for this are just to, for each addition, use the digits one to nine, and at most one time each, just to make the additions correct. Classic task there from a fantastic website. So many great resources for open middle, definitely worth checking out. That's the end of this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can access the entire curriculum for free at completemaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from early counting to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any questions, comments or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDear01. And my Twitter handle is at Maths180. Or you can get in touch with the Complete Maths team on at LaSalleEd. Or you can get in touch via email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I am Stuart at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care.